1 Samuel 7, verses 2 to 17. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and drew them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gigal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. There he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. The reading from the book of Samuel.
Go ahead, let's, let's pray. Father, I ask that as we, as we look at your word now, that you would help us uh, to come to you with open hearts. Father, I pray that you would um, help us to be a people that are able um, to celebrate you, that are able to give ourselves wholly and completely to you. I pray that from what we look at today, um, that there would be some things that really stand out for us and are significant to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to I take us into this passage, and so you might want to have it open in front of you. So I hope that from what I share with you that perhaps 1 Samuel 7 will just become a bit more, more significant. And I want to begin then with verse 2. But I'm not going to go very far. So check this out. Verse 2. The ark remained at kirith Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. And let me just stop there for a moment. Because there's something here that we're meant to notice. And it takes us a little bit into what we heard last week. But it's significant. So... The, um, and like many of us might read past this without realizing what's happened here. And so there's an amazing miracle of God that's happened in that the ark was retrieved from the Philistines, which again, we touched on last week, but just let me recount some of that so you can see what's happening with this verse, okay? The ark is supposed to be in the middle of Israel. You know what I mean? It's like at the heart of their, of their nation. It represents the presence of God. The ark starts at Shiloh, the, in battle, Hophni and Phinehas brought it into battle like it was some sort of magic charm. It was captured by the Philistines, which would have been a huge win for them, right? So they've captured the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant is on its own, captured by the Philistines, but God can fight his own battles. So they take the Ark and they put it in different temples and different places, only to find things happening, ways that God's judging them, such that the Philistines finally just give it back to Israel, right? Fantastic story, all of that. But it's not completely straightforward because they give it back to Israel only to find that we find in chapter 6, um, first it goes to Beth Shemesh, and we read this in chapter 6, verse 19. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death. Now hold on, like, God, whose side are you on, <laughs> right? Like putting 70 of them to death, see why? Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And by the way, notice something here. I don't think the Philistines were even as brazen as this. Oh, yeah, just... um, thanks for sharing, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think, the, I don't think the, the Philistines were even as brazen as this, to look into the ark of the Lord like this. And so then what we see here is that God judges um, the people in Beth Shemesh, um, it says here that the people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go from here? Essentially, that's a nice, fancy way of saying, we don't want it, <laughs> right? Like, and it goes from there to Kirith Jerim, and everything's okay. But here, notice what's happened in our verse. It doesn't belong in Kirith Jerim doesn't belong there. But, you know, it's... And so we get in, in verse 2 here. The ark remained there a long time, 20 years in all. I want to think about this for a second. What does that feel like as the nation of Israel to be afraid of God, of how he might judge them because of what they know they're doing wrong? To have the ark just there in the wrong place 
And then, like that's, that's got away on people. But then somehow they got used to it. For 20 years. Now I feel like, by the way, I feel like if you're young, you might be like, 20 years, how's that? That's so crazy. And the older you get, you're like, yeah, I can see it. I can, you know. Um, but there's, there's something really un horrible about the nation of Israel who's supposed to represent God actually, in a way, kind of God's on his own here. Okay? Something really sad about what's happened here. For 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant is in the wrong place. And the, um, the, this is leading to what happens at the end of verse 2, that they're going to finally turn back to the Lord. But let me stop for just a moment here, just on this idea. Because there could be some of us, or there could be ways for any of us, really, that maybe we don't even realize, there could be sin that we've let remain in our lives, even for 20 years. Maybe the culture around us has said it's okay. Maybe whatever it would be, and we might need to come to God and go, God, if you need to reveal something to me, reveal it. If there's something wrong, let me repent. Right? Because they be, this is twisted, that they become, became used to something, to become, became used to it being the wrong way for 20 years. Okay? But the good news is, is we see here that actually they turned to God. End of verse 2. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Now, um, what I want you to see here, and how I want to see, I want you to see how they turn back to the Lord, because quite often our approach to forgiveness, and this is good and right, I want to like I want to be careful here, but our approach can be, I said I was sorry to God, that's all I need to do, done, and I and that's true. Like I want you to realize how lavish God's grace is, that actually, and we don't earn God's grace in any way. But I also want you to learn from what they do here, because sometimes it's helpful for us to do more than just say, God, I'm sorry. Okay? So check this out. Look, look at this. So we see in verse 2, that all of Israel turned back to the Lord. But they, again, look at what happens. All the different things they do to mark this moment. Verse 3, they got rid of foreign gods. Like they would have destroyed all of this, and it would have been costly, incredibly costly. Verse 3, they committed themselves to God only. Verse 5, they went to Mizpah, which is this high place. And you think, why would they go to this high place? Like, maybe to get perspective, to, you know, there's some, there's some significance to this. Verse 5, Samuel prayed for them. Verse 6, it says they drew water and poured it out. By the way, commentators wrestle over what, this, what the significance of this would mean. Why? Like, water, is it valuable? Is it is it significant? Does it symbolize purity? You know what I mean? Like there's different things around that people have different ideas. Nobody really knows what it was to them, but it was significant to them as an offering before God to do what they were doing here as they were pouring out this water as some sort of offering. It says in verse 6 that they fasted. And it says in verse 6 that they confessed. And then Samuel makes this, does this offering for them, crying out to the Lord. All of this is to mark, and I, and I want you to get this, to mark a line between before and after. Right? Where they're going, we have turned to the Lord, we are heading in a new direction, things are different. 
What can happen sometimes is we just go, God, I'm sorry. And then we mess up again. God, I'm sorry. We mess up again. God, I'm sorry. Um, and what I want you to learn from them here is they actually, how are you going to worship other gods if you've destroyed all the other, all the gods that you're supposed to worship? Right? Um, or as well, the significance of putting a line down and going before and after. I am different now. Okay? Now the, um, th this reminds me of a, of a passage in the New Testament that will hopefully be familiar to some of you. It's from Acts chapter 19. And there's this great moment, Acts 19 verse 19, when it says this, A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In other words, incredibly valuable. And you kind of go, did they need to burn the scrolls? And you kind of go, well, yeah, God can forgive them without burning the scrolls, right? Did they need to burn the scrolls? Yeah. I think, you know, something very significant there about burning the scrolls. Like, confess your sin often. Know that you are forgiven through Christ. Somehow, sometimes, however, it might be helpful to draw a line in the sand. To go before and after. To go, I am changed, I am different. God help me. Now, um, I, I, noticed, I noticed the power of this, I think, um, when I was a young Christian. And I had several friends that were, I mean, really bad people. Okay? If any of them are watching, I love you. But, um, the, um, and all the things that we did were like bad things. And so, for a little while, I just didn't hang out with any of my friends. Just, you know, and then, when I started hanging out with them again, I'm trying to think, as a, as a new Christian, what I had to do over and over again, I found myself saying this sort of thing a lot, would be, I, was have, I would have to say, oh, I don't drink alcohol anymore because I'm a Christian. Right? I was drawing a line, a clear line. And because I had said it, I realized, I recognized pretty quickly, there was power in that. There was power in making a clear line between who I had been and who I now was. And because of that, it actually made it easier to not do the things that they were doing. Right? And um, so, and, and this kind of, it was also amplified by the fact that I wanted them to know Jesus. And so by making it, stating it clearly, this is who I am, it would betray everything I was trying to say if I was wishy-washy. If I had just said, oh, I don't drink alcohol in my head between me and God, then maybe the temptation would be easier for me. See, see what I mean? So there's some significance here to, to drawing a line between before and after, or drawing clear lines between who we are as Christians um, that, we, that we let people know about, okay? So we see here that they, they turned back to God, and they, they did it well. <laughs> they really did it well. But there's a situation that's brimming in this moment, that's really interesting. See, the, they've already, we've already seen in verse 3 that they're worried about the Philistines, okay? But because they've gone up to Mizpah, and it's this high place, the Philistines can see this. They've all assembled at one place. Like, the Philistines aren't worried about Israel at all. And so this is, like, fantastic. Let's wipe them out. 
Like they've gone up to Mizpah to worship, to, you know, to worship God, and the Philistines see this as an opportunity. By the way, notice that, that perhaps, like the enemy looks for opportunities, right? Here the Philistines sees an opportunity, they see an opportunity to attack Israel, and there's this great moment where Samuel is still doing an offering to the Lord while the Philistines are coming to attack. They can see them coming to attack. You would think that a lot of people would be, you know, Samuel's leading them as well. You'd think the sensible thing would be to go, guys, we're going to pause our offering right now um, because there's this band of Philistines and they look pretty scary. Um, and so, you know, we're about to go into battle. <laughs> like if ever there was a good time to postpone your little service. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right? And yet, what we read here is that, like, look at this key moment, verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage in battle. Like, while these things are happening at the same time. And the Philistines, they seem to go back and forth between, like, fear and faith. They actually, they're, they're afraid, but here they're actually encouraging Samuel to continue. Which, you know, interesting, right? And then there's this really great moment because, um, like, I want, I want you to kind of think about this. If you picture this almost in your mind, the Philistines coming to attack, like, when it says the Lord thundered with loud thunder, I think we're having a problem knowing what words to use. Do you know what I mean? Like, like what sort of loudness is required to make an army of Philistines amped up on testosterone. <laughs> like, maybe the, the picture might be like, um, you know, like the New Zealand, New Zealand All Blacks doing the haka, you know what I mean, whatever, like, um, but multiplied massively, or like Braveheart, I don't know, you know. Like, what causes an army of Philistines to turn and run? The Lord thundered a great thunder, and they go, somehow in this moment they go, I can, we can just destroy the Israelites, but I can't fight that. And so there's this great moment here where, where essentially God's the one winning this victory. And so this army turned and they run. It's like God saying, if you want to fight, you can fight me. And there's something precious about how God is honoring the way that they've turned to the Lord in this moment and guarding them, protecting them, Something important about the faith that they express in this moment. And then God honors that. And then the final thing I want you to see from this text is how in verse, like from verse 12, that then they celebrate what God has done. And they do it in a very physical way. It says, then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, which means the Lord helps. Like saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Um, and so they, they took a stone to remember what God had done. And there's history to this sort of action with, for the nation of Israel. You can think of things like Jacob at Bethel or um, Joshua with the 12 stones at the Jordan, you know, let this be a memorial. Or in the Acre Valley to remember Achan's disobedience. Over and over again, there are physical ways that they mark what God has done. They remember what God has done. By the way, I think we need spiritual markers to remember what God has done. 
And this victory was so significant, we find, that it leads to a time of peace. Probably takes the Philistines, at first they go, we're not attacking Israel again. It takes a little while before people forget, right? But it leads to this time of peace. Now, what I want you to see, though, is standing back from all this for a moment for ourselves. Firstly, is there something that, and maybe you've accepted, it's just part of your life, but it shouldn't be. There's an area of your life that God's not allowed into. There's, and maybe it's been that way for a long time. Bring that to God. But also, sometimes there's, a way, there's times where you need to mark a line in the sand. Where you need to not just repent, but, but clearly repent. We see as well just how God delivered them and how we should remember sometimes and acknowledge what God has done and remember it, journal it, write it down, mark it. Have a, even possibly, there's something, this isn't for, it's, to have a physical item to remember what God has done isn't really for God. I mean, it kind of is, but not really. It's more for us, right? And our humanity to remember the reality of it. Like when we come to communion, something powerful for us that we remember communion with physical bread and wine. Let me just, in pulling this together, um, share with you something from, um, from my sabbatical. People often will ask, um, for my sabbatical, what was the best bit of your sabbatical? And it depends on what you mean by best, right? Like, there's all sorts of different bests. And the most significant bit of my sabbatical, or what I, one of those points for me, actually is a little bit dark. I hope you don't mind, okay? But um, what had happened is, when I was in the States, I got COVID. And I got COVID, but I'm traveling, and so I ended up staying in a hotel room in Fargo, North Dakota, Middle of nowhere, yeah, Fargo, yeah, poor, poor Fargo. If anyone's watching from Fargo, sorry. Um, no, um, but like Fargo, North Dakota, like you open my, like my hotel room, when you open the window, you just saw concrete parking lots and like the tops of buildings with air conditioning units as far as you could see, that was it. <laughs> like, um, anyways, in a hotel room and it's, you know, you're ill, so physically, I was exhausted. Emotionally, I was exhausted. I thought at first, like, I can get over this. I can, I can beat COVID. I'm fine. And a little bit into that sickness, I got some symptoms that surprised me. Like, I won't take you into the details, you know what I mean? But it really surprised me and scared me. And that night, when I was trying to sleep, um, whenever I would try to sleep, I would have very vivid dreams that were basically just telling me, like, you're going to die in Fargo. What a horrible experience it was. And it kept coming again and again. And I'm dislocated. I'm in this random place. Like, look, place-wise, I'm dislocated. Like, I'm, right? People-wise, there's no one around that I know. Um, remember even as well, sorry, honey, but can't call my wife because it's the middle of the night. I mean, she'd probably say, no, you should have called. You know what I mean? But... <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sorry. But you know, it's the middle of the night. And I, I'm resting over this. But here's the significant, here's why it was significant to me. Is because in the middle of that moment, then it, may, it created a place where I could go, God, 
Whether I live or I die, I'm yours. Right? God, my life is yours. God, if there's anything I need to repent of, I repent. If there's, like, it, it created a place where I could say, God, I'm yours. I turn back to you. You have everything. You have me. And we need those moments, and we need to remember those moments. Moments when God showed up, moments when we turn back to the Lord, where we can have lines where we go, look, there's the before and after line, right? Like where we can come before God. And so I hope what you can see with what happens with the nation of Israel, some things that are significant, but as well, hopefully you can gain some wisdom in how has God, what has God done for you? How can you remember it? Or as well, when, is there something God needs to deal with you on? Is there a way that you need to put a line down and go, there's a before and after here? What does this look like for you? Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us with this. Father, I pray that you would be meeting us sometimes in the most expect, expected, unexpected, and um, yet then beautiful of places. I pray that you would give us Ebenezer moments. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.